0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. How do you do? Welcome to the show. Good morning. Good evening. Good afternoon. You guys know how it goes. It is Tuesday, June sixth, the day after my brother's birthday. Happy birthday to my little brother, Will Timberlake. He's officially 23 years old. Happy birthday to him. Uh, let's start the show. First things first. I, I gotta get the gotta get the, the the janitorial stuff out of the way. Please remember to. Rate this podcast, you can listen to it anywhere, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you want to listen to it, sharedimedia.com as well. It's where a lot of you are listening to it, and that's all right. But if you want to take it on the road or anything like that, feel free, Spotify, all those podcasting platforms or anything like that. You can listen to them anywhere. And if you are going to listen to them there, please leave a rating. If you would not mind, Uh, it helps us get uh, a little bit more out into the world, if you will. So I'd greatly appreciate that. If you can do that, Uh, if not, thank you very much for tuning in. I appreciate that as well. This is a, some high level sports talk, you know what I'm saying? Not really. It's, it's pretty low level sports talk. You know, I just kind of sit down or take some notes, sit down, hit record. And here we are. And then I'm just talking into a microphone for about an hour and that's all it is. And you know what? If if I, if I can do one thing for the people that listen to the show, I hope I inspire somebody. to Maybe, you know what? Give it a shot. Give it a shot to make a podcast of their own. It's easier than it looks. You know, you just need a microphone and you can just start talking about whatever you're passionate about. And uh, who knows? More people than you would imagine probably are passionate about the thing that you are passionate about. And uh, that's nice. And I think that's uh, kind of something that I've learned doing this podcast so far. There's a lot of people like listening to sports you know sports podcasting and that sort of thing which you know i, I knew that beforehand but i never thought people would appreciate or want to listen to me do it uh and i appreciate every single one of you that have tuned in and continue to tune in and uh we're just gonna keep it rolling you know it's tuesday june 6th and it's, it's never at no end in sight from here on out you know we're just gonna keep it on rolling but with that being said our first topic of the day today Has literally nothing to do with sports. I mean, absolutely nothing. It could not be less about sports, uh, to be honest with you. And it's my—it's the reason it's my intro. It's not going to be very long, but I just wanted to bring it up because it blew my mind when I saw it, and the fact that it's not like the biggest story right now, and then even in human history, maybe that's you know that that could happen over time. But it it should be a much bigger story than it is, and it has literally nothing to do with sports. But that's okay. You know what? We talk about everything here on this podcast, and I saw this, and I was like, whoa, okay, this needs to be talked about more, and I'm hoping I can just put it out into the world. Uh, We got crazy alien news, ladies and gentlemen. Insane alien news. David Grush, uh, who was a high-level military intelligence official with direct experience working and heading UAP investigations, what were formerly known as UFO, they changed it to UAP for, I, I mean, no reason. You know, why did you change it to UAP? It doesn't really make any sense. Just keep it UFO. It Everybody knows what UFOs are, but then you change it to UAP, nobody knows what you're talking about. You know, it's just stupid. Just keep it as UFO. Um, he headed up UAP investigations for the Department of Defense. And this guy's legit. He is a legit person that worked on these investigations. Uh, and he had a lot of ins and outs with those investigations inside the Department of Defense. You know, a lot of those, a lot of the whistleblowers we get that came from like Area 51 and that sort of thing, uh, you know, it feels like they're kind of. You know, low-level guys, the janitorial dude, the janitor guy. You know, oops, went through it, went through the wrong door, and I saw an alien. You know that sort of thing. But this guy testified in front of Congress for like eleven hours. He spoke to Congress about these sorts of things about the UAP investigations as somebody who is working for the government and doing work for them. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? He has whistleblowed that he has direct knowledge and has reviewed official military documentation of recovery programs, including some successful recoveries of non-human-made craft. I'm going to let that sink in for a second, and I'm going to repeat it. He has direct knowledge and has reviewed official military documentation of recovery programs, including some successful recoveries of non-human-made craft. These claims are being backed up by additional intelligence officials corroborating his claims, both on and off the record, and has testified under oath for eleven hours. This is a quote from and we'll we'll get to this in a second, from the debrief, which granted, I understand that it's not the most well backed you know, a lot of people don't know what the debrief is, and that's totally fair. I didn't know what the debrief was until I looked at it, uh, and I looked at the article about it, which a lot of people are going to claim, you know, the debrief, not a very reputable site. Understandable, but it's being picked up now. The story's being picked up by HuffPo. Uh, I haven't seen it in Washington Post or anything like that, but I saw it in Newsweek. Uh, HuffPo, I think, independent.co.uk picked it up, which, as reputable reputable as they can be, you know, uh, but HuffPo is reputable. Newsweek is refu- reputable. Uh, Washington Post is reputable. To, to pick that sort of thing up. But those for those are the first ones. But the fact that the debrief was the first one, like, what are we doing? Okay. We've got these incredible news organizations that work, uh, and, and newspaper organizations, that sort of thing. Wr- uh, you know, written literature organizations that tell news. And the fact that a place called the debrief was the one that picked up on this and actually ran with It's kind of disappointing. And I understand that like, they've been fooled so many times before, and that's totally fair. But man, I mean the stuff that this guy has seen, uh, and the fact that he is probably the highest level military intelligence official that uh, we have had make these sort of claims, and the fact that he's testified in front of you know Congress and that sort of stuff uh, is incredible. And here's a quote from the debrief: Beginning in 2022, Grush provided Congress with hours of recorded classified information transcribed into hundreds of pages which included specific data about the materials recovery program, end quote. So he has experience in this area of expertise. He worked for the Department of Defense uh, regarding UAP investigations, and he's a whistleblower now, and he's talking about the fact that the United States of America, the United States of America have recovery programs and have successfully recovered. Some successful recoveries include non-human made it is a high-level in- military intelligence official saying out loud, yeah, no, no, we've taken uh, aircraft from that have crashed or whatever, and uh, yeah, we have them. That's uh, nothing human-made, and uh, everything that you've ever seen in movies about Roswell or anything, probably true. That's insane. That's insane. That's insane. That's insane. That is uh, the biggest story. That's true, and it only escalates from here. We're talking about the biggest story arguably in the history of mankind because then you know we're only uh adding to the fact that we're not alone in the universe and that sort of thing and that becomes a whole other bigger picture situation and it, this could be the flashpoint which understandably a lot of people are shaking their heads like no there's no way there's no way okay because we've all been fooled before we've hear about these random people from that worked in area 51 but there's no credentials to it and that sort of thing this guy has credentials He was a a huge, a high-level military and intelligence official. I mean, this should be getting more news, okay? We're talking about arguably one of the biggest whistleblowers in the history of mankind, if this all checks out. And from what I understand, uh, with HuffPo running with it, Newsweek running with it, a lot of it has more or less checked out and uh the intelligence officials additional intelligence officials have corroborated his claims both on and off the record the fact that we're getting people on the record too is insane uh, and the fact that he testified under oath for 11 hours and you know it all seemed legit through that is inc- it's incredible it's incredible the fact that this is coming out now uh remember mark this day on your calendar because if this becomes a flashpoint you know this is the moment that we can all look back to and be like okay this is when it busted wide open. We'll look back on it and be like, I'm glad this happened this way, or I'm glad that happened at all, because maybe this is the beginning for us. You know, this is the advance uh, the advancement that we're all looking for uh, when it comes to maybe technology, human technology and uh, so on and so forth. Maybe the the government's like, yeah, you know what? We can't stop it at this point. Here's everything that we found uh, with uh, regarding, you know, uh, non-made, non-human made craft. Uh, craft that have crashed, in the the fact that we've gone through and gone through recovery programs, and found these non human made craft, we've learned from them. And you know what? Maybe here's a here's a here's an idea. We'll use the stuff from this non human made craft, and we'll finally be able to get like seventy miles to the gallon on our cars. <laughs> I mean, that would be the the greatest advancement on that would be the greatest advancement in human history. I mean, the aliens. Even if they're not there, if we get from like you know forty miles per gallon for a lot of people, and then the fact that we found you know non-human made craft and we could advance it to seventy miles per gallon, oof, that's that's big. That would be huge. Okay, we're gonna talk about sports now. I apologize. I just wanted to talk about that because it blew my mind. It wasn't getting as much coverage as I would have liked it because it's uh, this is massive news. It is insane, huge news. If it's true, David Grush checks out a high level military intelligence official. I mean, it would be. It would be massive, massive news. Let's talk basketball slash uh, some golf stuff, too, because I got we got to talk about the PGA Tour and live golf merging together, which it just. It hurts my head, you know what I mean? It's just so annoying the way that 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 entire thing is played out. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, But first, I want to talk about Miami Heat, Denver Nuggets finals going on uh, Two pretty good games. Denver Nuggets kind of blew out the heat in the first game, but the second game was very entertaining. Uh, we were about a three-pointer away from Jamal Murray from going into overtime and the heat. It took the heat a unbelievable fourth quarter, 36 points in the fourth quarter off of uh, 16 shots and 10 free throws is basically as perfect of a fourth quarter as you're ever going to have. Uh, they had you know, Jimmy Butler with eight points. Uh, Bam out of was seven points. Duncan Robinson came in off the bench and had ten points in just the fourth quarter alone so it took the the heat a pretty monumental fourth quarter in order to come back into that game and uh and take it and uh I think the one thing I wanted to keep uh, the one thing I wanted to um reflect on more than anything about game th- game two um was Eric Spolstra after the game um basically in the post-game press conference. First, let me state that uh, that um, uh, Nikola Jokic in this game, he was not as, um, n- not, not efficient, efficient's the wrong word, but not as effective, I guess is probably the better way of phrasing it. As effective as he was in the previous game, he did have, I mean, he had a still, all things considered, a very good game. He dropped 41 points. He only had four assists, though, 11 rebounds, uh, shot 16 for 28. So a lot of shots leading to 41 points. Um, so he wasn't as efficient as he was in the game before, and he wasn't as effective in passing the ball and everything like that. And Ramona Shelburne, a decorated ESPN basketball, basketball journalist, uh, she's been covering the game of basketball for as long as I can remember watching the game of basketball. And in my opinion, this was at Eric Spolstra's postgame, prefer- or post-game press conference, she asked a very Reasonable question, in my opinion, and I wanted to talk about the response that Spolstra had to the question, uh, and then kind of the overarching problem, in my opinion, with coach press conferences. And it's not just in basketball; and it's definitely not just Eric Spolstra. Um, it's not just in basketball. It's, it's a lot like this in um, the NFL. The NFL has this huge problem with uh, press conferences and just conferences in general. Where, um, well, I'll just I'll, I'll play the clip first. Final question on the left. Hey coach, Ramona Shelburne ESPN. Uh, This is probably oversimplifying things, but sometimes when when teams play against Jokic, you you turn him into a scorer, you turn him into a passer, and he controls the game. He only had four assists tonight. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. You know, it's just, that's the untrained eye that that says something like that. This guy's an incredible player. Okay, we're going to pause it right there. And to me, a very reasonable question from Ramona Shelburne, They're trying to turn him into a score, which clearly is what they pretty much did in game two, 41 points, four assists. I get the connotation, the notation that Eric Spolster is trying to get to where it's not that simple. Uh, And I understand what he's trying to say, but he's also, I mean, he's coming off as kind of rude, which I, you know, in that industry, you can't really get your feelings hurt about that. But also, you don't have to be rude like that if you're Eric Spolster. To me, that's a very reasonable question. asking about the planning and the game of basketball when it comes to defending one of the great players, not even I wouldn't even say in the past three years, but arguably in the history of this game already in terms of how good he is at what he does at his position. Uh, it's something that we've never really seen before, how effective he is at his position and making everybody better uh, at center being almost seven feet tall. So the rest of the basketball world and Ramona is just doing her job asking the question. I think a lot of people want to know the answer to Uh, which is how do you guard somebody like that and the fact that your effectiveness seemingly was um, being able to take away his uh, ability to pass the ball and make the people around him better and just turning him into a scorer, which is a totally reasonable question, a totally reasonable assumption. Uh, And the fact that Spolstra's answer to that was so just like blown off, you know, Hey, not, you know, kind of ridiculous question, kind of stupid, that sort of thing. He didn't say stupid, but, you know, the untrained eye, that sort of thing, even though, uh, you know, Ramona Shelburne is not the untrained eye. She is, you know, she's not a head coach or anything like that, which granted, you know, is a whole other level of this sort of thing. But it's saying she's an untrained eye is also a very, a very, uh, to me, a slight on what she has done for the last 30 years, 20, 20, 30 years or whatever. Uh, in the business she's in, covering the game of basketball. I mean, she's been doing it forever, uh, working for ESPN forever, working in that industry forever, watching and 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 you know covering basketball since I've you know been watching basketball forever. um And the fact that Spolstra, uh, you know, just kind of blows it off like it's kind of an uh, kind of a ridiculous question, and uh, it's just kind of annoying. And it made me think that he was going to have a better response to it. He was going to have some sort of answer uh, to. You know what they have to do in order to slow down Jokic, and that's the back half of this clip where he is going to explain to us in all of his Eric Spolster, one of the great coaches, arguably of all time already, one of the great coaches of all time, one of the great minds in NBA basketball. Uh, he is going to maybe not give us too many too many hints into what they try to do to slow down Jokic, obviously because you don't want to give you don't want to give uh, you don't want to give the Nuggets thoughts or anything like that. You don't want to give them an advantage, but maybe he gives, give us some insight into into what it is that they have to do to slow down Jokic. So let's hear what Swolster has to say in the back half of this clip. You know, twice in two seasons, he's been the best player on this planet. You can't just say, oh, make him a score. (laughs) That's not how they play. They they have so many different actions that just get you compromised. Uh, We have to focus on what we do. Um, You know, we try to do things the hard way. Um, and he requires you to do many things the hard way. Um, and we, he has our full respect. Okay, thank you. Thank you, coach. So that was the answer. He ha- we have to do things the hard way. And he forces us to do things the hard way. How is that even a remotely good answer in that scenario? She was asking you a question about how to effectively slow down Nikola Jokic and how to turn him, how you turn him into a scorer, what you have to do in order to mitigate a lot of the stuff that he's able to do. And she, in my opinion, is very correct in making the assumption. And she even states it's well, probably oversimplifying things. Uh, and she is making the assumption that you just kind of have to sl- let Nikola Jokic get what he's going to get in the scoring end. And if he is unable to distribute in the way that he is effective at distributing, then you are going to be able to um, at least stick with the Nuggets in that sense. A totally fair assumption. And the fact that Eric Spolstra is able to just bash it down, you know, to call it a ridiculous question, and then give us the answer that he did, which was, we're going to play hard. He forces us to play hard. And that's what we're going to do. It's so stupid. We should be giving him the crap for that scenario. And I understand Eric Spolster from what I understand it's reported that he's uh, since apologized to Ramona Shelburne in person. You know, he didn't mean to come off that way, which is you know good for him obviously, but it it really leads to an overarching problem that I have with coaches. um, And sometimes players in the industry of sports, just be more interesting for the love of God, please. It's not going to kill you to just give some sort of insight and it's not going to, Granted, you don't want to give too many ins and outs of what you're trying to do to slow down Jokic. I'm not going to say you want to give the entire, you know, you don't want, you don't want to show them the entire the entire master plan of trying to slow down Jokic. I understand that, but don't come at you know a reporter trying to help people that read her articles or read her work who are trying to improve on their knowledge of the game of the game of how they how they should plan for the game and that sort of thing and how they should uh, go about you know, stopping somebody like that. And, you know, and people find that information important and very knowledgeable. And to hear it from a coach would be very interesting. And the fact that he just kind of shoots it down and then gives just a garbage, garbage coach-speak answer really just bothered me. I was like, like, Spolstra, Eric Spolstra has no right to just shoot down that question, a very reasonable question, and then come back with just garbage coach-speak that really means nothing. He's going to force us to play hard. Yeah, Every single player in the NBA is going to force you to play hard. It's the NBA. That's how basketball works. That's how NBA basketball works. They're going to make you play hard. That's how it works. Okay. There's no player on the planet in any NBA and no player in the NBA that is going to say, I'm going to let this guy not play hard against me. There's nobody like that. That's not how it works in the NBA. So Eric Spolster is answering with a blanket statement that doesn't mean anything it just, like, give us some sort of insight into what goes into your planning for playing against somebody like that, and it just bothers me, and this is a problem with a lot of uh, coach press conferences in this sport, in the NBA and the NFL, especially these two, the NBA and the NFL, they just give you nothing. They give you nothing to go off of. A lot of the time, there's there's a couple good outliers that are good at it, Uh, that that have some decent, like, give you personality for the most part like good one is Sean McVay and there's a reason he's in a lot of like Campbell soup ads now is because he actually he actually has some sort of personality when you're talking to him or in press conferences he has some sort of personality we've seen him do like the remember the play where he has like this photographic memory of every play he's ever done uh, in the history in his time in the NFL, dating back to when he coached, like was the assistant, this offensive coordinator or whatever for uh, Washington at the time, which was like 10 years ago or something ridiculous like that. And it's just, I just want more of that. I just want more of that from the coaches. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not asking Spolstra to give a full breakdown or in Ramona Shelburne's not asking to give a full breakdown of everything that you're doing to stop Jokic because we have to know that people have to know everything that you're doing and it's going to be bulletin board material for the Nuggets. no. Just give us an idea, like what what sort of switches are you making on screens? What sort of play is being called down uh, when when it's being dribbled down by Jamal Murray and you see the screen coming uh, in the half-court offense, that sort of thing? Just give us an idea of what is going through your head and what you tell your players to do to get ready, other than we got to play him hard. That's what we have to do. I know, Eric Spolstra, of course you have to play him hard. You have to play every player, NBA player, in the history of the NBA. You have to play every single one of them hard, okay? You don't get to the NBA by playing the game at like half speed. Of course, Eric Spolstra, thank you very much. Thank you for the answer of, we have to play him hard. He's going to force us to play hard. I know that, Eric Spolstra. Thank you very much. It's the NBA. Every player in the NBA plays hard and makes you play hard. Um, So yeah, that entire thing, that entire, I I don't know, back and forth was just, it's frustrating to me because the coaches and and I get, you know, those press conferences are more or less a, a privilege, I guess is what you could say. Uh, But at the same time, like that sort of thing just turns people off to wanting to learn more about the game of basketball. To get some sort of insight from Eric Spolstra after a game like that, where they win by three points, uh, they're able to somewhat slow down Jokic and he's able, you know, and it affects the rest of the game for the Nuggets. Um, To get some sort of valuable insight from him in that press conference would be awesome. Like, I'd want to know, I want to know what their game plan is and how it was effective against Nikola Jokic, not the, yeah, we played hard and he's always going to make us play hard. That's not what happened. I mean, yes, of course you played hard, but that's not how you slowed him down. Like, that's not that's not what happened. Like we know, we know you played hard because it's the Miami heat. That's all you guys have ever done is play hard and find yourself in these situations. Uh, and it's combined with some fantastic coaching in air Spolstra, And they're just trying to get in the head of somebody like him, who was a top, you know, five, 10 coach in the history of the game. And it's not, you know, he doesn't go into practice and say, Hey, this is how we're going to stop. Nicole Jokic. We're going to slow him down and we're going to play hard because he's going to make us play hard like that's not that's not how those conversations go so there's no you know and i understand just give us like a straight answer where he's like i don't want to give out too many of our you know our plans because we still have whatever three more guaranteed three more games in the series uh which that would totally understandable that would be a way better answer to that question um but you know it gives some sort of insight into what you're doing and i guess the grand scheme of things just be interesting and this goes to NFL coaches just to be interesting, please. It makes you all the more likable. And if you show any sort of personality or uh, intrigue into coaching the game, you should be able to like give insight into what you're doing as a head coach in both the NBA and the NFL and just know that you're giving knowledge to the people that are trying to learn more about the game, of football or basketball or whatever it may be. That's what it should be. That's what it should be more like. And the fact that it's kind of just... Become this weird post game press conferences and just conferences in general or interviews with coaches have just turned into this monotonous, boring thing where we're talking about, you know, the same thing over and over and over again, where uh, he's going to coach his players to play hard or whatever, you know, have the right mentality heading into games. It's just every coach is every coach in every profession has said that and it just becomes the same thing over and over again. And then. It just becomes boring and monotonous. And that's where I think I have a big problem because that job shouldn't be boring. It shouldn't be boring to the outside looking, to the outsider looking in. Um, and, and the people that listen to those conferences or those press conferences see that and they're like, is that all it takes? You know, like, and we all should know by now that it, that's not all it takes, obviously. But, you know, if you're not giving the insight or any sort of idea of what goes into what you do uh, in terms of preparation, other than you know telling the guys to get ready and prepare hard, then of course they're going to have that idea. So that was the big takeaway from Eric Spolstra and uh, that entire press conference. It just bothers me because I know there's a lot more intrigue and interest in to what goes on week in, week out, game in, game out for every one of these games every one of these games, I think the last dance kind of puts it into perspective pretty well. Uh, like the documentary about Michael Jordan and that team and what Phil Jackson was trying to do with that team uh, as they slowly came to a close uh, on that dynasty. And, you know, the fact that we're getting it more in document documentaries, documentaries. Why did I say that? We're documentaries, uh, you know, years down the line is just like, great. I'm glad I'm getting this now, but it would have been really cool to, have some sort of idea what was going on at the time, you know, because I love basketball and I love sports. I want to know this sort of stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for a break to hear from one of our sponsors. That is right. A sponsor of the program. We have our first sponsor on this program in the history of the program, and it is Jack and Kathleen Wood At 307 Real Estate. Now, look, ladies and gentlemen, I get it. you got to navigate the real estate market. It is impossible. Everybody on House Hunters makes it look super easy. They just go into three different houses, and they pick the house they want. Boom, bang, boom. Episode's over. They have a house. It's not that easy, ladies and gentlemen. And Jack and Kathleen Wood will be able to help you throughout that process. And even the people in House Hunters, they have a real estate agent. And these people, Jack Wood, Kathleen Wood, at 307 Real Estate could be your House Hunter-esque Real estate agents. So if you're looking to buy real estate, sell real estate in the Sheridan area, these are the two people you should call Jack at 307 763 1249 and Kathleen at 307 461 7203. So listeners, one of the only things I'll ask from you is to support the people that support the show. And that includes these two, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Thank you very much for the sponsorship and make sure. You contact them for all of your real estate needs at 307-763-1249 and 307-461-7203. All right, we're going to wrap up the show here today. It's a little bit shorter of a show today, but that's okay. You know, maybe it makes it, it's making me go a little bit faster, which is a good thing. Um, I want to wrap up the show here today talking about PGA... Tour and the Live Tour, um, it's breaking news, happened today, as in Tuesday, June 6th, breaking news, dun-dun-dun, well, that's kind of a game show sound, but you know, whatever, uh, PJ Tour, Live Tour, they have merged uh, to become one entity, and the, the details of it are still kind of slowly coming out, but in a statement, uh, the circuit said the parties have signed an agreement that combines PIFs, which is the... Uh, Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, which was basically heading up live golf uh, combines PAF's golf related commercial businesses and rights, including uh, live golf with the commercial businesses and rights of PGA tour and DP world tour into a new collectively owned for-profit entity to ensure that all stakeholders benefit from a model that delivers maximum excitement and competition among the game's best players. And that also the circuit said, the agreement also ends all pending litigation because uh, Live Tour sued, I believe, or players in the Live Tour sued the PGA Tour uh, because they had some sort of, uh, there was belief that there was some sort of, that the PGA Tour had some sort of monopoly over uh, the game of professional golf in that sort of sense. Um, The comments continue. The three tours said that they will work, quote, cooperatively and in good faith to establish a fair and objective process for any players who desire to reapply for membership with the PGA Tour or DP World Tour following the completion of the 2023 season. And it continues after two years of disruption and distraction. This is a historic day for the game we all know and love. End quote. Jay Monahan said that he was the uh, PGA Tour commissioner. Uh, He continues this transformational partnership recognizes the immeasurable strength of PGA tours, history, legacy, and pro competitive model. and combines it with the DP world tour and live, including the team golf concept to create an organization that will benefit golf players, uh, golf players, commercial and charitable partners and fans. Um, So this is, I feel bad for a lot of the people that were on the PGA tour. It was a reported that Tiger Woods was offered like 800 to $900 million to play in uh, live golf. He held his guns and PGA, the PGA tour and all it's I'm, I'm rubbing my face. Um, Infinite wisdom was before when live golf was really starting to take over a lot of its players uh, as the, you know, golf company that would be paying out a lot more sums of cash because it's coming from Saudi Arabia, which, you know, Which, given some of the geopolitical um, situations in Saudi Arabia in connection with the United States, uh, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And rightfully so, I I usually, I'm for the most part, very much for a lot of players or whatever, whoever it is, uh, chasing the quote unquote bag. You know, they should deserve to get paid for what they're doing. Um, And if people are offering that amount of money, it shouldn't bother us. In that sense, because you know it's not our money by any means, Uh, but there is a caveat to that. When you're talking about certain entities offering the money, you know Saudi Arabia, I'm not. uh, I I would have serious. Um, I would like to think, but see, and I've made this argument before that once the the money comes out of the bag, no matter who it's from, it becomes very, very difficult to try to say no to. And, And you know, I've made the argument before. Uh, that it's understandable, but it's also, you know, you got to have, you have to be able to really put aside uh, the morals of yourself and the morals of a lot of the things that we know about Saudi Arabia and the connection to uh, the the PIF uh, with this money um, and the fact that they're using it to pay off these golfers and stuff like that as one of those golfers that we're going to go into it. You have to be able to put aside a lot of your morals and a lot of the stuff that you believe in, you know, whether you be... Phil Mickelson, Brooks Koepka, Bryson DeChambeau, uh, all of those guys. They have to be able to put aside a lot of their morals in order to do that. That's what we were saying initially. Um, and the PGA Tour, the guys that stayed on the PGA Tour uh, were kind of getting, you know, they were get, getting the tip of the cap, you know, thanks for sticking to your morals and and being the, the, the true golfers that really believe in the PGA Tour and are, you know, sort of quote-unquote pro-America, that sort of thing, uh, whether it be Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, um, Colin Morikawa as well. And the PGA Tour was behind a lot of the sentiment. You know, they were saying, uh, you know, thank you for uh, sticking with us uh, with the PGA Tour. They're the real pros uh, in this entire journey. Uh, and you know, Live Tour was really the the Live Tour was really struggling, in my opinion, from the way the way it looked from the outside looking in. Granted, Saudi Arabia they've got their the public investment funds got more money than you can even possibly imagine. I don't think there's a very I don't think there's a specific amount, but it is believed to be in the Billions and billions of dollars uh, with the amount of money that they've got throwing around. So they were, it seemed like they were really struggling uh, in terms of sponsorships and that sort of thing. They were going on the CW, which uh, it's the CW. uh, And even the CW, when that was going on, uh, when they were on the CW, the CW was cutting away in like the fourth round of those tournaments to go back to regularly scheduled programming uh, because the regularly scheduled programming was demanding more of a, uh, viewership than what the actual live golf tournament was, which not a great look for live golf, but again, uh, and, and apparently according to some reports, they were struggling with team sponsorships and that sort of thing. But again, with the PIF, they've got money to just throw around. They've just got money to throw and it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, that it doesn't matter how bad the sponsorships are getting. They're probably, they would have had enough money to continue this sort of thing, Um, for years to come and still probably be well off before they realized, yeah, this isn't really working. Um, And it goes back to going back to, you know, Roy McIlroy, Tiger Woods, who were stuck to their guns. Again, Woods offered reportedly 800 to nine, almost a billion dollars to go and join live golf and play for them. And he stuck to his guns, wasn't paid nearly that same amount of money uh, to play under the PGA tour. And they, he was seen as kind of a, a hero, somebody that stuck to his morals, a very, you know, granted, uh, you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt, but a, a good person sticking to his morals in that sense, which, you know, he's got a history, obviously, uh, but Roy McIlroy in the same situation. And the fact that all of that led up to the PGA Tour giving them a pat on the back. And then just two years later, just two years later, the PGA Tour saying, we'll take the money, you know, <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll take the money, you know, if Roy didn't take the money, what? I'll take the money. Why don't we take the money? And that's what the PGA Tour did. They said, you know what? Let's take the money. We'll take the money. And I feel so bad for Rory McIlroy, Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods would have made $800 to $900 million just for him to go to live golf, spend two years in live golf, and then eventually come back and be able to play for the PGA Tour again like nothing happened, which is essentially what's going to happen with a lot of those other guys—Brooks Kapka, Bryson DeChambeau, all those guys that are playing for Live Golf—they're going to be able to re-enter their, uh, their their membership into the PGA Tour and keep the bank that they just made on the Live Golf Tour, like it was nothing. So if you're Tiger Woods, Rory McIlroy, all those guys that stay in the PGA Tour, you have to be pissed. Colin Morikawa, you have to be so mad. These guys would have made. Buku bucks just playing in the live golf tour for, for two years. Uh, if you could see into the future, uh, that would have been a great grab. They should have gone into the, I, now I'm saying, and I'm somebody that I, I would have really had to have, I, I like to say this obviously, but I really would have had to sit and think about joining something like that because of um, where the money's coming from and what it's going into. Um, and the very public involvement that, 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 publica uh, that the fund has had in um in very nefarious activities to say the least uh involving american citizens american journalists and so on and so forth um i'd really really have to sit down and really uh, judge my uh, take a look at my inner self and view how i how i look at myself is money really everything uh before i joined the live golf tour but if i had the inclination uh, the forward thinking that, yeah, the PGA Tour is just going to take the money, so why don't we just go and join Live? Of course I would take it. Duh. If I'm just going to be able to join the PGA Tour again because the PGA Tour and Live Golf Tour are just merging like it's no big deal, then who cares? What are we talking about here? Just go join the Live Tour and then come back and play for the PGA Tour two years later and make your insane amount of money like it's no big deal. It's so ridiculous how the PGA Tour handled this. It's been so bad. Um, it's just been a huge joke, and I feel bad for um Woods Rory McIlroy I feel I feel bad for those guys because they should have taken the money because the PGA Tour didn't give a, a, a damn about how they uh how they held on to their morals or anything like that because the PGA Tour in the end didn't do that. They didn't hold on to their morals. They said, "Yeah, we'll take the money. Thank you very much. We'll take the money from the from the Saudi Arabian uh public investment fund. No problem, and then we'll just merge." No, like it's no big deal. I feel bad for those guys, man. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of like the Magic Johnson Converse shoe deal back in the when was seventies or, or something like that when he was playing obviously, the seventies and eighties um, where he missed out on like uh, an estimated like five point two billion dollars if the Fed, because he chose Converse over Nike, but the similarities end kind of right there because it's more it's more like if Converse uh, kept him on they were going to pay him a lot less which they did. Uh, but then in the end, after a couple of years, they just merged with Nike and he still missed out on all that money because it didn't sign with Nike's deal. Like that's similar to, and of course you're going to be pissed at that because if he missed out, they didn't miss out on the direct payment of $5.2 billion. But if you missed out on that amount of money, like in the end, and that's exactly, that's what they were willing to pay. Tiger Woods up front was 800 to $900 million. And now that they're merging, that's completely off the table because you know, you're not going to be able to pay him that and then pay the rest of the field that, um, for the most part, because you're merging the PGA tour, the DP world tour as well. So there's a lot more players. So that, that entire, that entire deal is completely off the table. And if you're Tiger woods, you're just like the, 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 not the one time, but one of the few times you actually tried to hold on to your morals and show that you're actually a good person. It backfired on you. So why would you do that ever again? Why would you try to be the good guy in that situation ever again? If the people that are above you, the, 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 the tour that is sponsoring you, the one that has made you the, the idol of that program of that entire tour for the last 25 years, is just going to turn around and take the money anyways. Then why would you, why would you hold to your morals in that sense? It's just so, it's just been so poorly handled by the PGA tour. And I'm stunned at how like they know it, the it probably looks really bad on them. Um, but the lack of self-awareness from the PGA tour in general has just been comedic. Um, not necessarily the players, but the, the tour itself the commissioner of the tour. And then just everybody involved in the tour has been head scratching. It just makes my head hurt. Cause I'm like, man, like don't, if you're any of those players or anybody listening to this, that's a, a future player in that sense, just look out for yourself. Okay. Because I mean, the PGA tour had all the reason in the world to look after guys like Tiger Woods and Roy McElroy, the faces of the sport for a large portion of the last 20 years. And they basically robbed them out of hundreds of millions of dollars only to for them, the tour itself, the the actual organization of the tour to go take the money uh, and leave the other guys in the dust. They're still going to be able to play on the tour, obviously, and you know they're not getting rid of any of those guys. Um, but, I mean, if you're Tiger Woods or Rory McIlroy, just take the money at that point. You should have just taken the money. You're, I'm sure they're looking back and um, really, like, I, they're probably pissed at the PGA. I would imagine they're very angry at the PGA Tour. I would be, I would be, um. I would be stunned if they were just completely okay with how this has gone about. Um, But they are probably very angry and rightfully so they should be angry uh, at the PGA tour because um, it is a shows a very, very strong lacking of honesty from, um, from the PGA tour and from um, their employer as a whole. So um, yeah, that's PGA tour live merger. We're going to get more information about this as it kind of comes to light. It was the news broke literally today. So uh, there's still going to, you know, more things to be, ironed out and written out and stuff like that. I don't know exactly. I'm not hundred percent sure exactly how the money is going to go about. I don't know if uh, the PIF public investment fund in Saudi Arabia is still going to be funding a lot of what's going on uh, in that organization. In this new organization, it's I think it's still just going to be called the PGA tour uh, and they're just merged together now as one corporate entity. So I don't know how that's all going to work out, uh, but man, it's just been handled so poorly by the PGA tour and they are just kind of Right now, kind of the laughing stock of, I think, a lot of sports organizations um, as a whole, which is, um, you know, deserved. It's very much deserved. Um, All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to wrap up the show today. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, It's a little bit of a short one today, but that's okay. 40 minutes, still still a decent amount of time. Uh, I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Um, Thank you for listening to the Alien Talk for about the first eight minutes of this podcast. That story just blew my mind when that came out, and the fact that more people are picking up on it, more... uh, News outlets are picking up on it. It was a good thing. That should be news across the world. That should be news everywhere right now. Um, anyways, I want to thank you very much for tuning in to the Weekend Sports Rep podcast. Thank you to uh, Jack and Kathleen Wood, 307 Real Estate, the sponsors of this great, great show. Big thank you to them. If you got any real estate needs, please contact them. They're the people to see. Great folks. Uh, they will get you the best deal possible on any sort of real estate transactions. So make sure you contact them. Jack, Kathleen Wood, 307 Real Estate. Um, But as for me, I've been your host, James Timberlake. Thank you very much for tuning in the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast.